federal tax policy and charitable giving, some important tools that fundraisers can communicate to donors. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Phil Purcell. Phil actually is the director of planned giving in the Central Territory for the Salvation Army. It's also highly sought out by several nonprofits and foundations and associations because of his significant legal expertise associated with different laws and regulations at the federal and many state levels for charitable giving. And that's why Phil is such a wonderful asset for us as well as a longtime member of the faculty for the fundraising school. And Phil, always a delight to talk with you about these legal issues, especially here in 2021. We wanna make sure that fundraisers are aware of some particular aspects of federal tax policy related to non-itemizers and itemizers. What do fundraisers need to know? Well, starting as you indicated with, with non-itemizers, um, as many people hopefully are aware, there are what are called universal deductions available. And these are tax benefits for gifts to qualified charities, 501c3 organizations, um, regardless of whether the taxpayer or donor itemizes on their tax return. A very small percentage of taxpayers actually itemize. So this, this tax benefit is available to anyone, regardless of whether they itemize. And the dollar limits are $300 for an individual filing taxpayer and $600 for a married couple. And that's for 2021. It expires December 31st, 2021. So it's, it's important for everybody listening to promote this time-limited uh, opportunity. Again, $300 single taxpayer, $600 married couple. And so that's important for people who don't itemize. What about for donors who do itemize? There's an important consideration for them as well. There sure is, Bill. For itemizers, there has always been a limit, a, a cap on how much one can itemize in a given year for gifts. And that cap or, or limit has been uh, uh, stated as a percentage of adjusted gross income. And actually the percentage limit depends on the type of gifts. So cash gifts have a different limit or cap than non-cash gifts such as stock or real estate. So very quickly, the limit or cap for non-cash gifts like stock or real estate has always been 30% of adjusted gross income. So you would calculate your adjusted gross income, multiply that by 30% and there's your cap or limit. And, and that's the same. That's always been the same. What's new or different for 2021 is for cash gifts. Uh, the cash gift deduction limit is 100% of adjusted gross income, which is a pretty big deal. Now, again, uh, when this expires at December 31, unless the law is extended or changes, uh, the, the limit is normally 60% of adjusted gross income. So we have 100% deduction limit. So Bill, that represents a huge opportunity for charities during 2021 to promote gifts of cash this year. And so, for example, if you have donors with significant pledges, you could encourage them to accelerate the pledge. That is prepay all of their pledge amount this year to take full advantage of that 100% of AGI deduction limit. Now that's only if they prepay with cash 
not stocks. So that's an important distinction to make. Phil, that is a very important distinction that candidly is not out there quite as much in the press and the philanthropic media about that difference between cash and non-cash gifts as it relates to donors who itemize. Now, you're a fundraiser and you have all this legal expertise as well. What advice do you have for fundraisers on how they should be talking about this with their donors? Uh, of course, every donor is different. Different donors have different motivations. Taxes matter more to some and not as much to others. Uh, do I bring this up in my first conversation? Do I include this in my direct appeal for my annual fund? What types of techniques are you recommending to fundraisers? Well, I, I do recommend that, that you talk about it early in the conversation, primarily because these are time limited and, and people need time sometimes to figure out what they wanna do and how they wanna do it. So the earlier you get ideas in front of them, the better. So using direct mail, informational mailings, email blasts, and in your personal one-on-one -on -one conversations, I would say it's, it's important to get it in front of them. And you know, Bill, the timing of this podcast is important because, you know, around April, it's tax time. Now, the die is cast, right, for 2020. So we can't, unfortunately, make any changes uh, to affect the tax return we're filing uh, by April 15, or if you have extensions later this year. But but it does prompt people to think about what they did or did not do that they might do differently. And so this is a good time to talk taxes. This, this April, around April is a good time because people are thinking about it. And so I would say this is a leverage point that fundraisers can use to bring up the issue of taxes and while they're important. And hey, you know, if you ask people, you know, what are your motivations for giving? you know, usually talk of taxes or tax benefits are not mentioned in that top list. But down deep, uh, you know, taxes do have an impact and uh, they particularly impact the timing and size of the gift. And so this 100% deduction limit, it affects both timing and size of gift because we, it's time limited and it's 100% of AGI. So we may not have that in the future. And so prepaying those pledges could be a really big deal. And Phil, there's also the policy that has been changing in the last year or two related to our seasoned citizens. And I know there's a tax implication there. Uh, my understanding is primarily we saw a change in the age involved. It used to be our donors who were 70 and a half, and now it's our donors who are 72 and a half. As they have these you know, required mandatory distributions from their retirement accounts that they then need to pay tax on, unless they use that money for charitable giving. What's the latest on that policy and, and how can fundraisers be communicating that to their donors who are in that season of life? That's a very good point, Bill. The, the minimum distributions from IRAs were formally start, required to start at age 70 and a half, and that's been increased to age 72. But the IRA charitable rollover, or in the law, it's called the Qualified Charitable Distribution, QCD, still remains available at age 70 and a half. So even though they're not required to take the RMD or required minimum distribution until age 72, they can still do a, an IRA charitable rollover or QCD starting at age 70 and a half. Now, this is a, a wonderful opportunity that's really picked up steam over the last few years and only getting bigger, right? Because we've got all this baby boomer generation, this glut of boomers, myself included, uh, who are getting close or above age 70 and a half. And uh, now remember that 
the IRA charitable rollover does not qualify for a charitable deduction, but it does um, escape income tax liability. See, these retirement plans grow tax-free and you owe income tax when you draw the money out. But with one exception, you do an IRA rollover, no income tax liability, which is uh, basically the same tax net effect. And in fact, it's even better because a lot of these elderly folks, they're not itemizing. Uh, they're probably not going to claim a charitable deduction, but the IRA rollover, it doesn't matter. Why? Because they're escaping the income tax liability and whether they itemize or not is irrelevant. And Phil, like, is there a ceiling? Is that up to, was it $100,000? It sure is. It's $100,000 per IRA account holder. And IRAs oh. are individually owned. They're not jointly owned by a husband and wife. So if you're married, each spouse can give up to $100,000 per year. Great advice. And you know, one thing I've always wondered is if we do receive that gift from that seasoned citizen out of their retirement fund, the, the gift, the check, the dollars, the electronic transfer actually comes from the retirement fund firm, right? The money doesn't go to the individual who then sends it to us at the nonprofit. As fundraisers, what do we need to be keeping our eyes open for in that regard so that we can send the thank you note and conduct the proper stewardship afterwards? Because yeah. retirement fund ABC doesn't really want our thank you note, right? They sure don't, and it's a, it's a, it's, it, it is an administrative important point that charities have to figure out, and, and it's a communication opportunity with your donors. So for, there are two ways. The IRA rollover can come by a cash wire from the custodial IRA account, but it's got to come directly to charity's account number, the charity's bank or broker. Um, it cannot be withdrawn from the donor's IRA account and then to the donor's checking account and then donor to charity. That will disqualify the tax savings. It's got to come direct. So the charity, you charities can have wire delivery instructions ready to go to give to your donors or have them have you send it directly to their IRA custodian that has the wiring instructions, basically the the uh, wiring number and account number to wire to. And then furthermore, you need to put in big black bold font to be sure to uh, indicate either the donor or the custodian directly to and identify the name, phone number, email address of the staff member of the gift on its way because it's cash coming without necessarily the name of the donor. So you've got to notify everybody that we need uh, you to let us know the donor is making what donor is making this gift. A another point is that these rollovers can also be done by check if it's a checking account on the IRA. So some IRA custodians offer their clients check books that are only drawing checks from the IRA. It's not a personal checking account, it's an IRA account. So sometimes you can get these kind of checks. Now the check will say probably at the top, you know, IRA custodian account for Bob Smith, let's say. So you'll know it's an IRA rollover probably when you see a check that says the name of the IRA custodian on it. It'll look different than a normal personal checking account checkbook. And again, part of your conversation with your donors uh, to make sure that they understand that this is available to them. A lot of those retirement plan holders uh, include this information to their customers. They'll put a little form saying, hey, it's time for that mandatory distribution. Would you like to send some to charity? And here's the form and tell us how to do that, right? So the mechanics are there. We just need to make sure that our fundraisers and our donors 
are fully informed. Phil, so much good information today. What other advice do you have for fundraisers as we think about 2021, maybe beyond, you know, federal tax policy can stay the same, it can change, a lot of information out there. What do fundraisers need to be keeping an eye on with this topic overall? Well, there'd be, be two things I would mention on this score, Bill. The first is there is a pending bill. The charity world has long been um, uh, talking about this universal deduction and maybe making the universal deduction even bigger. And so there is a, some pending legislation, the Universal Giving Pandemic Response and Recovery Act, that uh, increases the deduction limit from $300 individuals, 600 married couple to $4,000 individuals and $8,000 for a married couple. So that's pretty significant. Now this pending bill is also time limited. It would only be for 2022. Uh, so it's not a permanent, but it is an extension time-wise and in a limit, but it's not passed, it's just pending. The other thing this bill would do, uh, and it leads to my second point, is that it would not only increase the limit for these universal deductions, but allow the universal deductions to apply for gifts to donor advised funds. Oh. Under the, as many folks in the charity world know, uh, giving to and grants from donor advised funds are huge and only getting bigger. And, uh, but under the current law, these universal deductions, as well as the 100% deduction limit for cash gifts do not apply for gifts to donor advised funds. Furthermore, you can't not do an IRA charitable rollover to a donor advised fund. So there's some limits on DAFs. Well, this bill that's pending would allow these increased universal deduction limits to apply to donor advised funds. So um, those are things I'd say for folks to keep an eye on. And so when you're meeting with your member of Congress, your U.S. Senator, going to those town hall meetings, electric town hall meetings, now you're informed and can uh, share that information as you best see fit. And, you know, some people think, will it ever really come back? You know, we had the universal charitable deduction for many, many years, went away with the 1986 tax reform at the federal level. So that just shows you the pendulum can swing back and forth from time to time. Uh, also, in the meantime, take advantage of what is available now uh, with the universal charitable deduction and these withdrawals from retirement funds that are have some charitable considerations attached to them. And if you did not know before, you now know why when I have a legal question about fundraising and charitable giving, I reach out to Phil Purcell. And you can see his expertise here, which is on display as a member of our faculty at the fundraising school in many ways, but including and especially in our course on planned giving. Uh, with a lot of good detail for you to uh, get your arms around. And the data show that because of the pandemic, more and more donors are expressing an interest in planned giving. The survey from the uh, folks who are an association of fundraisers for planned giving, their recent survey demonstrates that there is a greater interest in planned giving. And you can learn how from this course at the fundraising school uh, designed and taught by Phil Purcell. Now, all of our public courses, some of them are available in person. We're expanding the number of cities as local and state and federal health codes allow us to do so. Uh, and all of our courses are available online, many of them recorded, some of them live, and all of them you can still apply for a crisis response scholarship that will reduce the cost of registration by 50%. We have our quarterly webinars. We often get together once a month for Fridays with the Fundraising School. And of course, these free podcasts, all available online at philanthropy 
www.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. Our producer is Jennifer Boffman with Phil Purcell. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Thank you.